Thank you, John. If you reach with, reach, uh, with me for your Bibles and stand as we prepare for our scripture reading this morning and turn to the book of Ruth. As Pastor Bruce continues in his series on the book of Ruth called Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. Today we'll hear a message titled, My Place at the Table. We'll be reading Ruth chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Ruth chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Once again in a message titled, My Place at the Table. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from all the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out what she gave to her and what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. God, we come to you this morning, and we know that our hope is found in you in a disappointing world. Help us to be obedient, help us to have open hearts and open minds to learn from you this morning what you would have for us to learn from the book of Ruth. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, get into the message here, let me direct your attention just to a a couple of really important things. issues that are in your bulletin, and you know, some of you, maybe you're wondering, why, why does the church have a bulletin? You know, every Sunday we have a bulletin, take time, you pass it out, and there's information in there, and that's just that it's a communication tool, uh, so you guys are aware of what's going on in the church, so you can t- take notes of it, be abreast of it, and, and participate in those things, and uh, so I don't want to, you know, highlight everything, but I do want to highlight two things. One is our World Outreach Celebration that's coming up here in a few more weeks, and uh, some of you are very, very familiar with our World Outreach Celebration. It's kind of like our missions conference. Others of you that are, are, are new to our church, uh, let me encourage all of you to save the dates uh, for our World Outreach Celebration. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it, and of course, when you save the dates, we do that for the purpose of, so you can come. And be a part of it. Just don't save the dates and mark it on your calendar and then ignore the dates and forget about it. You've got to save the dates on your calendar and then make it a priority. Hey, I'm going to come, and it's out of the ordinary. We don't do this all year long, but it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. So we're asking you to give up three nights of the week to come and be a part of our World Outreach Celebration and, uh, and meet some of these missionary families uh, that are going to be part of our church family. And uh, so those three sun- Wednesday, three nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in October, I believe it's the uh, 19th through the 23rd, it culminates on Sunday there, and, uh, and so take notice of that and come. And of course, to save the dates, you've got to make it a priority, 
you know, clear out your calendar, your schedule, and will you be disappointed, Kirk, if you do that? No. It'll be great, won't it, Dana? Absolutely. Yes, it will be awesome. And some, most of you can testify to that. Those of you that are, uh, you know, it's your first time to be at our church, or maybe you've just been coming for the last few months, year, whatever, and, and you've never been a part of it, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss out. It'll be a great thing. You'll be blessed, and you'll be ministered to, and you'll get to meet real-life missionaries, believe it or not. Pretty cool. The other thing is I want to highlight is this right here. It's actually an insert, and it's our trunk or treat coming up on Halloween, which this year is on a Monday night, October the 31st. We're taking it back down to Crestview Elementary School, and our goal is to have 30 cars that are decorated. Cars, trucks, motorcycles, whatever vehicle that you come in. If you want to decorate your bicycle, because that's what you drive in, so be it. And uh, about 30. So whether it's 30 uh, people, couples, families, it doesn't make any difference. You come, sign up on the back table there. Church will provide the candy, and it's just a way for our church to be a blessing to our community. Let them know, hey, there's a church down the road that actually cares about us enough that they're going to sponsor a community-wide event for the families in our community to participate in. And, of course, you know, others outside can also come. It's a great thing. And uh, there's, uh, you know, we grill some hot dogs, and we provide a little bit of food and refreshments. And so there's sign-ups on the back table. If I can go back to the World Outreach Celebration, too, we always have opportunities for service on that. And, uh, and so there's sign-ups on the back table there. Enough said. You take a look at it in your bulletin. And I uh, really appreciate that. Well, I'm excited that we're continuing our series on the book of Ruth. Uh, a series that we've been in for a little while now. A series we're actually calling, uh, you see it on these posters here around the church, Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. And the book of Ruth, as we began to have seen for the last few weeks, it's really a great story. It's a wonderful story. In fact, an amazing story about God redeeming Ruth. Now, question. How many of you have a table in your home that you eat on. I'm not talking about the coffee table in front of the TV. That doesn't count, okay? I know most families eat at the coffee table in front of the TV here in America. So just scratch that off your mind. What I'm referring to, you have either a kitchen table or a dining room table in your home that you eat on. How many have one? You know what I'm talking about. That piece of furniture that you don't use that often. How many eat and utilize that piece of furniture at least once a week as a family? Oh, pretty good. How many would say three times a week? All right. And some maybe a little more. Great. Let me encourage you, as it, you know, as a, whether it's just you and your spouse, whether you're single, whether you have family and kids, to eat together as a family. Good things happen when you eat at the table as a family. Again, we're not talking about the coffee table. We're talking about the kitchen table, the dining room table. All right? Now, there's a point where I'm going with this. And when, you're, uh, you know, and when your family gathers around the table... How many have a place for each person in the family? All right, all right, you know what I'm talking about. That's a good thing because you know what it means? It means nobody in the family is left out when everybody has a place at the table. It communicates everyone is part of the family. Nobody's left out when there's a place at the table. In fact, in our family, everyone not only has a place at the table, but they have their set place at the table where they sit every time we eat at the table. How many have that? Yeah. In our family, Jack sits across the table from me. Tyler sits to my right. My wife, Darla, sits to my left. And I sit on one of the end. We have four spots and for our four people in our family. And you dare not sit in any other person's place. You just better not even try it. 
Now, we do have one individual in our family who likes to try it. Uh, and I don't know why, because we always tell him, you can't sit there. Your spot's over there. So move. Get out of that place. That place is reserved for somebody else in our family. Of course, about now, you're all guessing it's Jack. You got it. Man, you guys know my family too well. Jack's always trying to sit either in my spot or Darla's spot. I don't know why he doesn't like his spot. But we all have our place at the table. And when you invite a friend over for dinner, what do you do? You make a spot for them. You make a place for them at the table when you invite them over for dinner. And if you have to, when you invite several friends over, what do you do? You may even make the table larger, put a leaf in. You may even set up more tables and get, put, get more chairs in. It doesn't matter what kind of chair it is. Why? So everybody has a place at the table. Who wants to be left out? Nobody wants to be. Can you imagine being part of a family and not having a place at the table? What that would communicate to that poor soul if they had to eat somewhere in isolation? Oh, man, it'd be a bad deal. Now, here's the question, though. Do you have a place at the Lord's table? Do you have a place at the Lord's table? Now, if you do, what that means is you're part of the family of God. Because everyone in the family of God has a place at the Lord's table. Perhaps you're here and you're not too sure if you have a place at the Lord's table because you're really not too sure if you're part of the family of God. Well, as we continue in our series, I want to share something with you that's just going to revolutionize your world. I mean, this is so cool. It's so significant. It's right here in our notes. Look at it. Coming up on the screen. By God's amazing grace, all of us here this morning, All of us here, we have been invited to dine at the Lord's table. Now, is that pretty cool? That is significant, whether you realize it or not. Hopefully, I'll explain it here. But we've been invited to dine at the Lord's table. Now, we see this in our story of Ruth. When Boaz invited Ruth to dine with him and his workers after she was gleaning in the fields in that morning. Look what it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. Ruth's been at work. She's been gleaning in the fields of Boaz, even though she doesn't know it's Boaz. She has no idea who Boaz is, that he's a relative of Naomi's, uh, her deceased husband. And so it's lunchtime now. And look what Boaz says. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. This invitation by Boaz in many ways, is symbolic of the invitation that Jesus gives to all of us to dine with him at his table. Now, I want to show you just one example of this invitation when Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 14. And so if you, if you want to, you can turn to it. Luke chapter 14, it's, it's one of the Gospels in the New Testament here. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, Jesus tells a story to kind of illustrate this idea, this concept, that we, everybody, is invited to the Lord's table. We're invited to eat with Him, to have communion with Him, to have intimacy with Him, to have fellowship with Him. Look what it says in verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with Him heard these things, He said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then He said to him, This is Jesus now talking. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant 
at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. In other words, the table's been set. Uh, My wife, when she makes dinner, lunch, dinner, breakfast, doesn't matter, and it's ready to eat, you know what annoys her most of all? You got it. You ladies are nodding your head. When I'm watching TV, Jackson is room playing Legos, Tyler's outside, and she calls, dinner is ready, and we don't come immediately. Oh, that just infuriates her. I don't know why. I do understand why. So the table's set. The table has been set. It's ready. Notice what else it says. 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. And then you go through this whole list of excuses. Drop down to verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master, reported all the excuses people made as to why they couldn't come to the dinner. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And by the way, that's you and me, folks. Spiritually speaking, that is us. The invitation has gone out to you and I who are spiritually poor, lame, blind, you name it. And then verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited, those who made excuses, that is, shall taste my supper, and oh, they are going to regret it, that they made excuses and didn't come. Here's what I want you to understand. Two observations right out of this passage. Two simple observations that have definite application for us right now. The first observation is Jesus invites everyone to dine with him at his table. The second observation is not everyone will come to dine with him at his table because they make excuses as to why they don't want to or can't. So what happens then when we accept the invitation of our Lord to come to his table to eat? What happens? Well, look at it. Number one, we will enjoy God's abundant grace. Oh, man, this is so awesome. We will enjoy God's abundant grace. Now, back to our story of Ruth. During the barley harvest, which was the time of season that Ruth was gleaning in right now, during the barley harvest, it was common in Boaz's day for men to kind of set up a temporary uh, quarters in the field wherever they were harvesting. Uh, kind of like a temporary tent, uh, campfire, and whatnot. And so there in the middle of the day, all the workers would be fed and the gleaners who were invited to join them. That is the picture we have before us. Now, I know it says that they ate bread and parched grain or roasted grain. But here's what I see. Here's the way I picture it. Is that Boaz is basically having a barbecue with his employees. Now, I can imagine barbecue. I can picture barbecue. I can smell the beef ribs. Remember, this is kosher barbecue. And I can see the smoke rising in the sky, kind of like at the American Royal that's going on right now. You guys, anybody go to American Royal? And if you go down there at dusk, you just see the smoke, the sweet-smelling aroma rising up into the sky. And so that's kind of like what's going on right now in Boaz, in his fields with his employees. And oh, can you just imagine it? Can you imagine what the guys working in the next field over are thinking about now? 
Oh, man, what is that? I smell ribs. Oh, man, we work for such a godless man. He makes us bring our sack lunch to work. Boaz, wow, he's such a godly man. He's going to feed everybody. Man, wish he was our boss. Maybe that's what they were thinking in the next field over. I don't know. And then Boaz does something totally radical. I mean, he does something amazing that can only be explained by this little word, grace. He invites Ruth. Ruth is an outsider, folks. And yet he invites Ruth to join him and his reapers, his workers, to dine with him at his table in the middle of a field. Boaz encouraged Ruth to sit beside his workers, which was a place of honor, a place of respect, and to dip her bread in the vinegar sauce which was a symbol of intimacy. And then Boaz himself serves Ruth, showing humility on behalf of himself. You say, well, well, what does all this mean for me today? Well, Boaz, as we're going to see, especially in the weeks to come, is a picture of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about this more next Sunday. But just sufficient for today, he is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Grace we will enjoy when we come to the Lord's table for our salvation and satisfaction in life. And there are two things that happens when we come to the Lord's table. We enjoy His grace, and in that grace, the Lord will graciously accept you as one of His sons and daughters. The Lord will graciously accept you. Now, do you remember what Ruth said when she committed to turn from her false gods and trust in the one true living God. you got to go back to Ruth chapter 1. And she told Naomi in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, Naomi, your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. That's Ruth's commitment to Naomi and to the Lord. So for the first time in her life, Ruth found hope. She has found a new God to worship, the one true living God. And she has found a new people to love, to embrace, to be a part of a community with. However, there is one great obstacle standing in her way. A huge obstacle. And unless it is dealt with, Ruth could never have a place at the Lord's table In fact, she can never have a place at Boaz's table in the middle of his field. You say, well, what is that obstacle that was standing in her way? Notice this in your notes. Ruth was, as I said, an outsider. Technically, she was a Moabite. She was from Moab. And as a Moabite, it represented the one thing that could prevent her from being accepted in the community of God's people here. The writer seems to emphasize this problem time and time again when Ruth is mentioned in the story here. In fact, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, and in chapter 2, verse 2, Ruth is referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. And then in 2.6, she's referred to as the young girl from Moab. And it's as if the writer's emphasizing this obstacle, this problem before us, and setting it up so we don't just glance over it. You say, well, why is this such a problem for Ruth? Why is this such an 
obstacle standing in her way because God said in his law, the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy 23.3, that a Moabite or an Ammonite shall not come into the congregation of the Lord, not to the tenth generation. Who is Ruth? She's a Moabite. She's an outsider. And yet she's committing her life to God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel, and to His people. And yet, she's a Moabite. God's law says, you can't do this, Ruth. This is a huge obstacle for her because her whole hope in life is she wants to be a part of God's people. She wants to enjoy their inheritance and privileges. In other words, Ruth wants to dine at the Lord's table. But the law says, Ruth, you cannot dine at the Lord's table with his people. Why? Because of what Ruth was by her very nature. She was what? A Moabite. In other words, Moab was in her blood. And therein is the problem. It's the obstacle. Do you realize what this means, folks? Ruth's one great obstacle is the same as our one great obstacle standing in our way of dining at the Lord's table as well. You see, our sinful nature is what prevents us from enjoying full communion with God at His table. Our sin prevents our access into God's presence. Our sin nature and our sin, who we are by nature, prevents us from dining at the Lord's table and enjoying the privileges and the inheritance that you get when you do so. So what is Ruth to do? I mean, after all, she had proclaimed to Naomi one chapter before, I want to dine at the Lord's table with the Lord's people, but God's law comes screaming out to her, you cannot sit at the Lord's table because you are a Moabite. But here's the amazing part. This part is so cool, it is so radical, because the same law, the law of Moses, which forbade Ruth from entering the congregation of the Lord, also made a provision for her to come in. Now that's amazing. While Deuteronomy 23, and that's where we found this, we looked at it a few last Sunday, while Deuteronomy 23 spells out the very reasons why she's excluded from the people of God to dine with them at his table, Deuteronomy 24, let me tell you, opens up a door of grace for her to come in through God's provision of feeding the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. Now, that's cool. You say again, well, okay, that's, that's cool for Ruth, but what about me? Because last time I checked, I'm not gleaning in the fields of Boaz. I drove here in a car. You know, I'm dealing with other issues in my life. Listen, folks, the same law, when you go to the New Testament, that says the wages of sin is death and keeps us from enjoying the blessings of God's salvation has been fulfilled for us 
by Jesus Christ. You see, by our own sin nature, we are excluded from dining at the Lord's table with the Lord's people. In other words, we are Ruth. We are outsiders of God's covenant family. We are the Gentiles, in other words. But in Christ's death, God upheld the law and then some. By grace, our sin debt has been paid. Jesus has taken our place on the cross. In other words, in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This means, and oh, it's just, this, is, this is just fascinating. It's amazing. This means that the same law that keeps us out of God's family has also provided a way of bringing us into his family. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Listen to the words. It says, the law of Moses could not save us. How true that is. You see, the law, what does it do? It reveals... You know what the law does? The law reveals our junk in life. It reveals how sinful we are and how badly we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. The law doesn't save us, and yet God cannot just set aside the law. It says the law of Moses cannot save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now that's amazing grace. Do you hear what this is saying? God's grace has overcome the one great obstacle standing in our way of dining at the Lord's table. That's awesome. So now, look at this, it's coming up on the screen. So now, when you come to the Lord's table through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a place at the table. You have a place at the Lord's table as a member of, of the Lord's family. But, get it, don't miss it, you must come through what? Faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes this clear over and over, but one passage in particular in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so when you come through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord now will graciously accept you. He will embrace you as a member of His own family. In other words, you now have a place at the Lord's table. You see, in my family, why do I have four places at the table? Because I have four people in my family. Listen, 
I don't have a place at my table for every kid in our neighborhood. Why? Because they're not part of my family. I have a permanent place for every person in my family. And when you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, He sets a place for you at His family, at the table. You get to enjoy the privilege of access and community with God Almighty. You get the benefits and the privileges of being a part of His spiritual family, eating in community with Him. But you must come through faith. Faith. This is why Boaz now invited Ruth to dine with him. Boaz recognizes, he knows that she has turned from her false gods and put her faith in the one true God. And so now, although Ruth understands herself to be a foreigner, an outsider, an alien, a stranger, Boaz accepts her as a member of God's family. He even gives her a place at his table in the middle of the fields. Radical. He even treats Ruth like a member of his family when he calls her my daughter. In verse 8. My daughter. And this is exactly how God treats us when we come to him through faith. Folks, listen. He no longer treats you as a sinner. He no longer treats you as someone who is outside of the community family. He treats you as a son or a daughter who has now been accepted into his family, who now has a place at his table. God graciously accepts you as a member of his family. That's where we get to enjoy his abundant grace when we come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Second, though, listen, God doesn't just graciously accept you. Number two, though, the Lord will graciously satisfy you. And this is illustrated for us when Boaz saw to it that Ruth was satisfied. You go to verse 14. And it says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Now this is probably the best meal Ruth has had in a long time. And so she ate until she was full, satisfied. Now, that is a great word. Satisfied. Man, we are so lucky here in our culture, in our country, aren't we? we very few of us know what it means to come to a table and walk away not satisfied. Satisfied means that you want nothing more and need nothing more. And when it comes to food, all of us understand what it means to eat until you're satisfied. Chris and I just got back from a pastor's conference in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And Boston, when it comes to food, is known for two things. I, just, I, I learned this. They're known for lobster, which I didn't, get any, I didn't get any of that. The second thing they're known for is clam chowder. And let me tell you, I got some of that. And it was spectacular. In fact, I had it more than once. Clam chowder, fresh clam chowder. But we, for lunch, we went to this one place to eat. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, they had cup of soup, bowl of soup. I mean, bowl of clam chowder, cup of clam chowder. Now, you know, cup, I'm like, cup? I don't want a coffee cup. I want a bowl. 
I'm thinking coffee cup. That's what it is here in the Midwest. So we order a bowl. Both Chris and I do, plus our, you know, fish and chips or whatever. And they bring out not a bowl, but a bucket <laughs> of clam chowder. I kid you not. But ask me if I left any in my bowl. No way. I ate all mine. And then some. I walked away. In fact, I didn't walk away. I'm having to push myself away. Because I was satisfied with that clam chowder. Listen, that's what God does for us. This is God's promise when we come to the Lord's table. He will graciously satisfy you. But so often, what do we do? What do people in this world do to try to satisfy their needs? They try to do it in other places. Listen, we look to the world, we look to money, we look to people, we look to relationships, we look to pleasure, possessions, position, you name it, but none of those things will truly bring satisfaction to your life. Why? Because lasting satisfaction, true satisfaction, is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Think about it. Jesus, get this, Jesus... He is all-sufficient. All-sufficient. That means nothing can be added to Him, and we dare not detract anything from Him. So all that we need, all that we long for in life, is found in Christ who is all-sufficient. Our problem is we want Christ and then something else. doesn't work that way. Listen, when you come to the Lord's table, He will not only satisfy you, He'll exceed your expectations if you allow Him to. Look what Boaz did for Ruth. And remember, Boaz is a picture of Christ, and we're Ruth. In verses 15 and 17, it says, And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Hey, let her glean even among the sheaves, and not reproach her. And also, let some of the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Now, what did the law of Moses say that Boaz had to do? The law of Moses told Boaz that he had to leave just the corners of his field for the poor, the widow, and the fatherless. That's all he was required by the law. But Boaz, as a picture of Christ, fulfills the law and then some. That's grace exceeding Ruth's expectations. You say, what was the result of all this grace on Ruth? Look at it in verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, how many know how much barley that is? Ephah. Anybody here? Good. That means we live in an urban city. We're all in the same boat. I don't know what it is either, because I'm not a farmer. Never have been. Have no desire to be a farmer. Look at it. we got a farmer back there. He still doesn't even know. Bill, do you know what an ephah barley is? See, he's shaking his head no. Well, I did look it up. It's about a half a bushel, or about 30 to 50 pounds of grain, which was enough food for Naomi and Ruth for over a week. I'd say it exceeded way beyond her expectations. In fact, if you want to uh, be able to conceptualize it, just think of a big 40-pound bag of dog food. That's how much grain she hauled back to the city of Bethlehem and laid on the table for Naomi to see. 
Listen, this was way more than Ruth ever expected. I love what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory. Folks, that's the way God is when we come to him through faith. He will graciously satisfy you beyond your wildest dreams. So the first thing we see when we come to the Lord's table is that we will enjoy God's amazing, abundant grace in our lives. He will graciously accept you as a member of His family. He will make a place for you at His table. And He will graciously satisfy you beyond your expectations. So how then should we respond when we experience such abundant, amazing grace in our lives. There's only one way to respond. Look at it. We should express our grateful praise to God. We should express our praise. And not just any praise, but grateful praise. Joyful praise. Now, surprisingly, all this grain that Ruth brought home, as you can imagine, it caused a firestorm of conversation and praise. Look what it says in verses 18 through 20. Then she, that is Ruth, took it up. Took what up? The ephah of barley. And went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Man, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? In other words, Naomi is stunned. She is taken back by the amount of barley that Ruth has brought home. She is overwhelmed by it. And she asks, basically, what happened here? But before Ruth can even get a word in, Naomi shouts out, Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Remember, that was Ruth's hope and prayer back in the beginning of chapter 2. I'm going to go glean in the fields, and I just hope, Lord, that I'll find favor amongst somebody. Oh, did she find favor and grace. Oh, did she find it. Verse 19 continues, so Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Ruth still has no idea who Boaz is. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Wow. Uh, Is this the same mother-in-law we've been talking about for the last five weeks? Is this Naomi here still speaking? I mean, because the last time we interacted and met Naomi, she was sharing her bitterness with the women of Bethlehem. She was blaming God for her sorrow and grief and disappointment in life. But now, what do we hear? Man, we hear a new song in her heart. She breaks out with this grateful praise of Boaz in the Lord. What a change that has taken place in this grieving widow. Her words are different. Her whole attitude is different. Her outlook on life is different. Everything about her is different. Naomi has moved, get this, from bitterness to blessedness. She has moved from saying that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me to the hand of the Lord is with me. You say, well, what made the difference in her life? Why the change in her outlook and in her her attitude, and in her words, her countenance. What made the difference? Well, we could say she's been changed by God's hesed. 
What? What did you say, Bruce? Never heard of that word. It's a hard word to pronounce. It's a Hebrew word. But she was changed by God's hased. Hased. You're like, what in the world is hased? Hased, as I said, it's a Hebrew word that is used to describe God's loving kindness. It's a difficult word to translate into English because it's an Old Testament word that encompasses so many concepts and attributes about God Himself. It includes the concepts or the attributes and the qualities of God, such as His love, His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His long-suffering. Often in the New Testament, it will be retranslated in Greek as mercy or grace. But it's much more than that. It's His covenant faithfulness to His people. It's His loving kindness to His people that you cannot turn away or He will not turn away from. And Naomi, here's what's so cool about this. She finally sees God's loving kindness at work in her life through Boaz. And folks, it radically changes her. She recognized that contrary to what she thought earlier, when her heart was filled with such disappointment and grief, the Lord had not stopped showing His loving kindness to her and Ruth. Why? Do you remember what the theme of the book of Ruth is? God is always working when? Even in the worst of times. God's always at work. His loving kindness is always at work. His loving kindness never ceases on His people. And so Naomi was brought face to face with God's goodness and grace, and she couldn't help but burst forth in praise. It just spewed out of her. So let me ask you, have you been changed by God's, lo- God's loving kindness? Do you have any reason here this morning to praise the Lord today? Listen, you do if you've come to the Lord's table. You do if you've put your faith in what Jesus has done for you with His death on the cross and His resurrection. You do if you've been graciously forgiven of your sin and accepted as a member of God's family. You do if you've been given new life through Christ, a life of purpose and satisfaction and hope as a follower of Christ. Oh, how we as God's people have something to sing about, something to praise God about, something to focus our hearts on. True. Naomi had her share of heartaches and tears, didn't she? I mean, who would want to live her life in chapter 1? I mean, let's be honest. That woman went, more, went through more things than, than most people do. She suffered. Oh, did she suffer. But there is joy in her heart nonetheless. Her life has been so changed by the grace of God that she couldn't help but shout with joyful praise. And may God keep us from turning our relationship with the Lord into a religion that does not move us to praise and rejoice. From a religion that does not capture us with the joy of our salvation. God forbid that we should turn something that's a reality of His grace into a religion that's dead. 
And one of the ways that we keep our relationship with the Lord from turning into a religion without joy is by participating in communion. Folks, we ought to be a people of praise, a people of joy. You know, as Jesus sat with his disciples at his last supper, he told them to remember his broken body and shed blood by eating the bread and drinking the wine. And so as we do that today, we are, what we are doing is we are taking time to remember, to reflect, to meditate on Christ's broken body and shed blood for us on the cross. That has what has allowed us now to have a place at the Lord's table. In fact, in many ways, coming to the Lord's Supper is a, it's a small picture of our coming to the Lord's table for our salvation and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. But may I remind us, while everyone has been invited to come to the Lord's table, not everyone has come. Not everyone has put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation and satisfaction in life. And so the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who have come through faith in Jesus Christ. It is reserved for those who have been accepted by God as a member of His family because they have put their faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, then by all means, come. Put your faith in Jesus and receive His righteousness. Come and receive His forgiveness of sin and receive His gift of salvation. That is is what we're here for. God extends the invitation to everybody here. And the question is, will you come by faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And with your heads bowed, and as we prepare for our time of communion, I want want to challenge you to use this time to just pray to the Lord. Perhaps you've never come to dine at the Lord's table. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ. And, but God is tugging at your heart and you want to. Listen, use this time and just pray to the Lord. Just tell Him the desire of your heart. Tell Him you want to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. Share with Him that you want to put your trust in Jesus for your salvation and no one else. And then come and participate in communion with all of us who are Christ followers and who have been invited to come and participate as well as a symbolic remembrance that we have a place at the Lord's table through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Kurt's going to play. He's going to sing a song. And as he does, this is our time to come, our time to reflect and remember through communion. Mm -hmm.